Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. This is Nikayla here, kicking off a brand new month of Side Hustle Pro. You may have noticed that I took a mini break and there was no Side Hustle Pro last week. And surprisingly, even though it was a holiday weekend, it was actually really hectic for me. I had two back-to-back weddings, then I flew across the country to a work conference, and now I'm back at home. And it was, it was just really good to take a beat. You know, I'm realizing now that I'm in the final weeks of wedding planning, I just need to surrender. I need to surrender to the process surrender to this moment and acknowledge that this is a crazy time in my life, crazy but good, and I'm not in complete control and it is what it is. So if you haven't heard from me, if it seems like I'm MIA and if my social media posts and communications have slowed down, it's because I have slowed down. I am surrendering to this current moment because I have three jobs, my day job, my side hustle, and my wedding. And I know it'll be over sooner than I think, and I'll be back at full steam. But for now, I want to live and breathe in this time and just take in every second because it will be over before I know it. So that's what's up with me. Anyway, enough about me. Let's get to today's guest. Today on the show, we have a woman who is a millennial CEO shaping Black digital media. How dope is that? Let me say that again. We have a woman who is a millennial CEO shaping Black digital media. Her name is Morgan Debon, and she is the founder of Blavity, one of the fastest growing digital media startups and a top destination for Black youth culture. In March 2017, she launched a new lifestyle brand called 2190, a website focused on beauty, health, and wellness for women of color. 
She is one of only 12 Black women to raise over $1 million in venture funding and has been featured on the likes of Essence, New York Magazine, and was a finalist for 2016 TechCrunch Founder of the Year. I first encountered Morgan at the Blavity Empower Her conference back in 2016. I was already impressed enough with Blavity to buy a ticket, but what Morgan created in that room really sealed the deal for me. I just knew I needed to start Side Hustle Pro as I was sitting there in that conference. As a matter of fact, when the MC asked, I forget what the question was, but she basically asked who wanted to share a new initiative or something we were working on. And I raised my hand, jumped out of my seat and got on stage and announced to this room full of black women creators and entrepreneurs that I was starting Side Hustle Pro. And there was just no turning back after that. So it's a real pleasure to welcome Morgan to the guest chair today. But before we get up close and personal with Morgan, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you expanding your team? Are you looking for the right candidate that is going to jump right in, not only with the skills, but the passion and proactiveness to help you scale your business? Then head over to ZipRecruiter.com. I know that hiring can be one of the most challenging tasks for new business owners, and there's no blueprint to building the perfect team. But there is one website that can simplify the recruiting process and make your life easier. If you're looking to hire top talent for your business and take it to that next level, go to ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Let ZipRecruiter's powerful technology match your job to the right candidates and use their simple dashboard to find the right hire. Then easily select the best candidates from one list. 80% of jobs on ZipRecruiter.com get a qualified candidate in just one day. And over 1 million businesses have already used ZipRecruiter. So try ZipRecruiter for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash hustle. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the guest chair, Morgan. So this month we are devoted to teaching entrepreneurs pathways to fund their business. And I thought, what better person to talk to than you? You have had tremendous success, not only in founding Blavity, but also in raising capital. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, I want to go back to the early days, then bring it forward. So tell us a little bit about your background. So a little bit about me. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, Midwest for life. Although I do currently live in Los Angeles, I started my career in Silicon Valley working it at Intuit and tech. And yeah, I learned a lot about like design thinking and creating experiences for specific user personas and thinking really about how do we create awesome products with an intentional person in mind and a problem that you're trying to solve. And, you know, that was kind of my playground early on at, you know, my post-grad life before I started Blavity, where I learned a lot about how to create cool products and how to create great experiences. So prior to that, did your upbringing influence your entrepreneurial drive at all? Like, did you have any inclination that you'd one day be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I was like one of those kids always trying to hustle people. So like, (laughs) I always use this example because it's so true. Like my brother, who I love to death, he's he's two years older than me. So I was a little sister and he was like good at managing money, but I was a little bit better at it. So he'd be like, okay, like, can I have some money? And I'd be like, sure. Like, we're going to sign this piece of paper. (laughs) 
like I'm getting a 25 cent like payment fee, which was, you know, I didn't really know what interest was. Or like I would create um, Kool-Aid and mix it with sugar and make it like a bootleg fun dip and sell it at my middle school. So yeah, I was always hustling people trying to make money. And, you know, then my parents probably should have known like, this isn't going to go away. Like, this is just who she is. (laughs) But I didn't really, I think, like, envision growing a business and being an entrepreneur until, like, as a real career until I was in college, actually. So, yeah. What happened in college to make you start thinking about it? I think I just saw the potential of scale and, like, how impactful businesses are at creating opportunities and creating access and influencing the rest of the culture in terms of, like, you know, donating to different campaigns or like making hiring decisions, being in and out of communities in terms of like urban development. And I didn't, I didn't know any of that in my little world um, until I started studying and taking different classes and talking to different business leaders and like learning from my peers in college as well. So speaking of college now, I have listened to you talk a few times, read on you, of course, in preparing for this episode. And I understand that college was instrumental in the beginning of Blavity. I mean, did you know at the time or you just knew your co-founders then? Yeah, I just knew my co-founders. So Jeff, who is our CTO, he was, um, I was one of those crazy ambitious people who went to campus before campus was really open. So I took like a free freshman summer program and he was my RA in that program. And he was student body president at the time. And I was like, who is this like dorky black guy who got entire <laughs> campus to like vote for him? He always wore suits all the time. And I was like, this is crazy. And so he convinced me to run for student, a freshman class president, which you had to do like the first few weeks of, of school freshman year. So I would like put together my campaign team. We ran against like five or six other teams. We won. So then I was in student government and it was a wrap from there. I ran for student body president and he was my mentor, you know, the entire way. And he was two years older. And then Aaron Samuels, who's our COO, he was at the time, one of the most amazing poets I'd ever met in my life. I, you know, read poetry, but I'd never like seen someone perform poetry. And, you know, he's a slam poet and, and a writer. And he was creating our first campus poetry group. And so he needed funding. So he would always be like lobbying me because I was student body president to like fund his project. <laughs> and, ideas. and it was, and we became friends through that. And then we were also in a few other groups together. And then Jonathan, who's head of our corporate brand and corporate strategy, he and I were in like a secret society that wasn't really secret. Um, <laughs> together. And so we, we met through that. So yeah, all these guys, we were all in different, different classes, which was really cool because, you know, it's, it's, when you're on a college campus, it can feel really big, but it, at WashU, which is the school we went to, the community was really close knit and we were able to like form relationships and hang out and like teach each other different things and, and stay in touch after graduation. Nice. And it's so cool that you were like in all these leadership positions, student body and government and all of that. And that I'm sure has helped you with leading the business. Yeah, yeah. I think I manage more money in college than I do now, (laughs) (laughs) which is funny. Washi has a a lot of money. But um, yeah, I definitely think those those experiences gave me a little boost in terms of practicing my leadership skills. Okay. So now for the people who, for whatever reason, are listening to this podcast and have not heard of Blavity, tell us what it is and what does it mean? 
So Blavity is a media company and community at this point for like young black people in the United States. We tend to be really creative makers, thinkers, entrepreneurs, a lot of people who are in cities like New York, Chicago, DC, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas. And we have a website, you know, blavity.com. We create content, news content, editorials. People can submit their ideas, their own stories. If they're really feeling something like Beyonce, you know, when she announced she was pregnant with twins, we got like 30 submissions (laughs) and they were all fantastic and funny. And then we have two conferences. We have our women's conference, which is called Empower Her. And then we have AfroTech, which is a tech conference in November. And then now, recently, we just brought on two new brands. One has been around for eight years called Shadow and Act. And then the other one is a new brand that we created in-house called 2190, which is just for women. So it's a really fun company. We're super creative and we're based in downtown LA. Um, We have a studio and um, an office in downtown LA. And then Blavity. Oh, the word. Yeah. So the word means black gravity. And it's a phrase that we used in college when it would be like a couple of people sitting at the, at the lunch table and all of a sudden there's way too many people sitting at a table that only fits eight and you've got people arguing, talking about like what happened in class, what did the outfits do, like why aren't you in class right now, why have you been sitting <laughs> here for like five hours, like you just skipped two classes. And yeah, it was, it was what we said, you know, blavity is happening. Like, where'd you guys come from? So Mm. yeah, it it was so funny when I graduated, like I didn't realize that wasn't a word other people knew. (laughs) So when I was thinking about, um, how, what's named the company, I was brainstorming with Jeff, our CTO. And I was like, what about blavity? He was like, oh my God, that's great. I was like, wait, is this free? (laughs) free?" And it was a wrap. It was, it was over. It was over after that. When I heard you speak at last year's Empower Her, one thing distinctly stood out to me. You talked about the fact that you should not be side hustling on your company's time like you used to go take your lunch break, drive somewhere else and work on Blavity. So talk to us about the beginning of Blavity, how you were able to juggle and what was your approach to side hustling? Yeah, that can get you in trouble. I mean, definitely in the tech world, you should not use company resources for your side hustles because you don't want them to be able to claim they own any of your intellectual property. My recommendation is like, you've got to treat this like a job, right? Like you want to go somewhere, you want to be somebody, you want to, you know, actually walk the walk, not just talk about it. You have to put in the hours. So, you know, I was waking up, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., working for two, three hours, you know, hustling and getting to work, taking my lunch break, working on stuff during my lunch break. And then after work, I wasn't grabbing beers with guys, right? Like I wasn't like going to this meetup or this meetup to like listen to other people talk about things. Like, no. (laughs) You know, like I was not about that life. I'm still not about that life. I was in my apartment working and I would make my friends come hang out with me with the whiteboard and make them work with me. Like I distinctly remember... One of my friends like, let's hang out. I was like, okay, great. Like, come over. I'm trying to build user personas. <laughs> and that's what we did. So yeah, it, it's a lot of dedication. And I think people should focus on progress and execution, not just like the process of thinking you're doing something. For sure. I talked about that with a number of people about you make to-do lists and you feel so accomplished. Like, all right, I organize everything I want to do. Like, that's not real work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So now, how long did you side hustle and how advanced was Blavity before you fully made the leap? Was it like launched as a website, making revenue? 
Yeah. So I would say, and most people probably don't actually know this story because I like to keep clean stories out in the universe or else people are like, I don't get it. When did it start? So I started thinking about it and started gaining, I think, like emotional confidence in January 2014. And Jeff and I were already working on a few little like side hustle projects. And then I was like, all right, I know that I want to prep myself to build a company. Like I'm committed to quitting my job and shooting my shot. I don't know when, and I don't think I can afford to do it right now, but I'm committed to this idea that I'm going to get there. And so I started just throwing out different ideas, getting people's thoughts. And then by March, so January to March, you know, I had had the name had the first version of the, of the product of what we wanted to do and the problem that we were trying to solve, which was a newsletter. It was a weekly newsletter that we'd send out with the top black videos that you needed to see that week. Um, no website, like no Instagram, like nothing. And then did that for a few weeks, proved the, this kind of concept of, okay, black content is where I'm going and building some sort of destination site for curated or user submitted content is where we're going. So now we're in the summer and by then it was just me and I kind of had Jeff on board. I would have been talking to Aaron maybe like once every two weeks, like kind of like on a consultancy basis. And I would like meet up with Jonathan in picnic and in parks in downtown San Francisco. But they were, you know, everybody started their full-time jobs. So that's when I think I really started hustling was like over the summer, but we launched in July, 2014, everybody flew to Nashville, which is where my parents live. And we had a few days of just like not sleeping and getting it to a place where we could publicly have a website. And then after that, so now we're in July, 2014. So that's like our official blog that we started in July, 2014 um, story. And then I quit my job in October, 2014. So I was working, you know, on the side from, you know, basically February to October. And I definitely think I quit prematurely. Like we didn't have any users and we had some, we definitely hadn't hit an inflection point that normal people would say, yes, you should quit. But what had happened was a lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff had started to scale up and I felt like emotionally, like I needed to do more and I needed to be committed and that I would never get to the next level and the company would never get to the next level if I was not 100% focused and really dedicating my time. So that's when I took the leap of faith and quit and worked on the company for a full year, you know, just sitting in my San Francisco apartment and then the guys eventually were able to quit after I raised. How were you surviving in expensive San Francisco at this point for this year that you were building it out and you would quit your job? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a hustler to the day I die. I got multiple streams of income. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Just because I didn't have a full-time job with benefits didn't mean I wasn't getting paid, right? A true hustler. Y'all hear that? Like, you have to start thinking outside of the box if you want to quit these jobs. You still yep. need money. <laughs> I lived in the Blavity office for a year. I just moved out. Now, we'll get to the office and things <laughs> like that and the raisin. But first, how many people visit the site each month as of today? We get around a million people a month. And so what were some of the first steps you took to take Blavity from this idea, this initial website to this hugely influential brand and platform? So we spend a lot of time trying to really listen and 
observe what was already happening and figure out how we can add value versus saying we know what we're doing and this is what you all need. So really what that comes down to is creatives and people who are making cool things but need help distributing those cool things. So a lot of what we do, I mean, we have a full-time person and all they do is literally curate, find dope people in different cities, ask them what they need, and then we try to help them. So that was the best way for us to grow in the beginning because we didn't have, we also couldn't afford to make what they were making, right? So whether that's a video series or a cool Instagram account or a photojournalism project, what we could do was build systems and processes to distribute their content for them, right? And so that was kind of that mutually beneficial relationship that we started off with in the beginning. And then as we built more and more scale, because people were sharing the content that these people were making, then we were able to say, okay, here are some gaps in the market. We saw a gap with news. So we hired news editors, right? We saw a gap with black women's lifestyle content. And so we made 2190 or video series, you know, we're thinking about scripted video series and web series. So you know, three years in, now we can say, okay, we know where the market is. We know what people have access to. We know where no one's creating stuff here. This is where Blavity can add value. And I really like what you had to say about really listening to people before you just shove content down their throats and having a platform where people can contribute. It's like, what better way to reach people and to talk about what they're interested in than to let it be kind of crowdsourced? Yeah, yeah, totally. BuzzFeed has done that quite a bit with their community submissions and then Worldstar, um, you know, love it or hate it, they exist. So then which subsets of Black culture did you specifically want to target? Because I know I've heard you say you didn't want to get into the entertainment gossip blog realm. Yeah, so the ones that we've identified, and it ebbs and flows depending on what's going on, like early on in Blavity's life, Afrofuturists were like super big of a subculture. Lately, that type of content hasn't done as well. I don't know if people are like switching what they're interested in or what exactly is happening there. Things that are doing well for us that we're invested in are health and wellness, mindfulness, technology, tech, startups, entrepreneurs, film and entertainment, creators, people making web series, people making shorts, thinking a lot about social impact, social justice, and and holding people accountable and like making sure that we're highlighting people who are doing really good things on a local level because we can't necessarily count on our federal level Mm -hmm. uh, at this point. So thinking a lot about like local politics and we're certainly processing and thinking about music now that we've gotten a little bit bigger and have some resources. Music's a tough place to jump into because it's very crowded. But we think that there are some young Black artists who aren't necessarily getting the shine that they deserve, despite their like amazing, amazing music. And one thing I don't want to skip over is the awesome job you guys did in coming out the gate and gaining this awareness. Like, it's not an easy thing. What was your initial launch strategy? I remember seeing these Blavity badges on my friend's profile pictures, the ones that went to wash <laughs> you. Like, do you do you remember that? Tell me about this. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that was like, I mean, that was like a rid like week one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's by any means necessary. Like, there's so many things that we tried that you probably didn't see because it didn't work, right? But we, we, this was before Straight Outta Compton had done the meme generators where like you could upload your photo and get something superimposed on top of it. So we had all of our friends send us their photos and then we superimposed things on top of it for them manually mm-hmm. so that they could change their Facebook 
photos and their Instagrams. We gave people GoPros. We gave people who are now huge, like Quinta B and Low Miller from the travel travel blog, like all these people who are now huge, but three years ago, you know, they were, they were still scaling. We gave them GoPros to literally just like follow them around and have them show us what their lives were like for a week. And then we chopped up these videos and, and put them on the site. I mean, we tried everything. So it's hard to say what worked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's how you have to be. You have to really think through the launch strategy, guys. Hey, everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So now you are where you are. And like, if you look back at everything, how and when did you start to reap profit and rewards from your business? And then what were the first things you invested back into the business? Let's see. I think that we started to really have something on our first Empower Her conference. That was the first time we made a big investment. We weren't sure if we were going to make the money back because running a conference is incredibly expensive. And then when it happened, it was like, oh, this was amazing. Like this was phenomenal. And we had so many new relationships with brands and sponsors. And then also we were able to meet a lot of these women we've been talking to online in person. And then most importantly, we were able to connect them with each other. And that we'd found that we found out that a lot of people didn't know each other. And we were like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> I need to know each other. Like this is, that's the real strength here. And yeah, the things that we invest in, and I think the thing that most people are surprised in is our team. Like we spend I would, the majority of our money on people, uh, hiring people, recruiting them, relocating them in their salaries and in their content, right? Our editorial team, our writers. And, you know, that's, that's expensive. And I guess in terms of the return on that investment, I'm not sure we fully recouped those investment costs yet. Right now we're getting close because everyone's been with the team for three to six months, but there is always kind of an onboarding period where everybody's trying to figure out how to work well with each other. And then you hit a good flow and you start to, to become efficient. And that's really where most businesses get the return on their investments. So we're not there yet. 
Speaking of team, originally you were bootstrapping, right? You didn't take any venture funding for a long time intentionally. Tell us about your thought process at the time. Why did you do it that way? Yeah. So, I mean, Blavity now, people can see it. They can visit the different websites. They can see our conferences. And they're like, oh, I get it. Like they're a lifestyle brand and media brand. And they have like this technology platform that all their sites sit on. Like I understand how they're a business, right? But when you say that like two years ago and none of it exists, like I sound crazy, you know, I, it sounded like just too far-fetched. So knowing that, I didn't want to waste my time creating a fake story to get funding, which sometimes you have to do is like speak the language, you know, tell the story that investors are going to be able to understand, nail the pitch, right? I didn't want to spend time doing that. I wanted to spend time growing and building and having something valuable to justify all the things that I wanted to say. Um, and so I, yeah, I took that financial hit for the first year bootstrapping and, and not paying myself so that we had that freedom and that flexibility to grow the way we wanted to grow and to tell a story that we could stand behind. And because of that, I think, you know, now raising is less difficult. If I wanted to go raise more money, I could, but that's because we have something real. Mm -hmm. You know, we have something that like, it's not fake Facebook likes. They're not fake traffic. Like it's real. (laughs) They're real people. And the engagement rates show that. So it was a tough first year but it also gave us the flexibility to build something that we were all proud of. And when did you ultimately decide to raise funds? And then how did you begin that process? So one of the reasons we needed to raise funds because we needed to hire people full time outside of myself and kind of what I was able to pay people as contractors. And, you know, there are people on our team now who've been with me for three years since like, you know, literally the beginning and they were working for pennies on the dollar. Right. So like, to me, that was, that was the main reason why we raised is because I, I was committed and wanted to make sure that we were doing it right by our team and that we were able to grow and scale. And we needed more space and more runway to fully build out the company before we were going to be able to turn in revenue. And I needed to have, you know, my full-time staff around me for that. So that, that was one thing. And then two, like as we were growing and making these investments, like empower her it was just getting expensive and you need money to be able to invest in those things so that you can get the return on investment. So we had a pretty strong business case for raising where it's like, if you give me this, I will be able to return this investment. And we did that pretty well. Speaking of the business case, what was your experience overall raising money? You know, walk us through this. Like we know nothing about it in terms of how did you know which investors to pitch to? Where did you find them? <laughs> um, who yeah. helped you with the process? Well, I don't think I did a good job raising the first time because I failed. I mean, I, tr- I tried to raise the first time, realized that we weren't ready, like that I wasn't going to play this, the story game. And so didn't raise and then just kind of kept chugging along until we got a little bit bigger. And then a lot of, a lot of my current investors were because other people said, Morgan, these people are looking to invest. You really need to talk to them. Like, just do it. You know, I have a lot of really amazing people around me who have pushed me and have been there for me through this whole process. I mean, I think about Jason Towns. Um, he's out of DC. I think about my friends who worked at Apple or Facebook. Who, my friends at Facebook who used to give me Facebook ad credits because we couldn't afford ads. You know, just everybody. Like, Blavity is a reflection of our community. It is not, you know, the Morgan Show at all. Like. There's so many people who have contributed to our success, particularly when it comes to like 
fundraising. You know, Charles King, who's now one of our largest investors, I remember sitting down with him in downtown San Francisco. And I was like, yeah, I just need like 25K. And he was like, I'm in. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't like, you know, and he got it. You know, he understood what we were trying to do, but I couldn't back it up necessarily. And now, you know, he's one of our biggest investors and strategically uh, macro ventures. They funded like fences, a lot of other cool things that are about to come out. And now we strategically have a lot of business things that we can work on. Um, and, and so it's a good fit. And that's been a relationship that's grown over two, you know, two plus years now. So there's a lot of people who are shooting with me in the gym who now <laughs> are doing quite well and we can do well with them. So I think people should, when they're thinking about raising, think about people who are strategically aligned with what you're doing, because then the return on investment for them can oftentimes be more than just the cash amount. It can be something that contributes to their business, operationalizing something that they're working on insights. For example, we have an, an angel investor, Michael Rothman, who owns and runs this company called Fatherly. It's a media company for, for dads. And he was one of the early folks at Thrillist. And it's, it's great having him on board as an investor because I can call him and be like, yo, our traffic keeps going down. Like, what's the deal? Is it Facebook? Am I doing something wrong? And just talk having access to him and his knowledge helps me save money, right? And you want to get people around you where they're invested in your your actual product and future, not just like a check. That is truly the dream, right? To have that investor that you can learn from and they feel committed to not only the hopeful outcome, but also seeing your growth in progress. Yeah, absolutely. But it takes time. You got to say no. Like I turned down money because I was like, mm. Wait, <laughs> walk, walk us through that too. <laughs> I think like there's definitely people who wanted to invest and I'm like, but why? Like we don't necessarily fit your investment thesis. Like a lot of venture capital firms want to make businesses or fund businesses that are going to get returns like Uber or Lyft, mm -hmm. right? Where it's literally a billion dollar company. Now, can Blavity get to a billion dollars? Yeah, but we shouldn't have to get a billion dollars for someone to be happy, right? Like the investors that we have would be very satisfied if Blavity got to a hundred million dollars. But there's a big difference between building a hundred million dollar company and a billion dollar company, right? And so we wanted to get people on board who were going to be okay with the pace at which we were willing to grow, which is still granted relatively quickly, but it's not, you know, Snapchat quick, right? And that's one of the things to really consider too with raising money. Like, great, you have money, but then you have people expecting a lot from you. And so there's additional pressure. There's additional input and opinions. Yes, all the time. And it's great if you have great people. Like I love the emails from my investors now. <laughs> so you mentioned that first 25,000 and where you've raised what over a million now or a million? Yes, over a million. How long did it take you to raise that? And what was the process as far as so I know people suggested investors that were interested, but then were you also like cold calling or doing any pitch competitions? No, I, I think those things I mean, they work for some people. I mean, Blavity is a very unique business, right? I can't just like cold email. <laughs> right. And be like, hey, I have a black team and a black startup and we're going to sell black things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a black woman and I want you to give me a million dollars. Like yeah. that statistically, I was not going to even attempt to go there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the best way to attract investors is to build a strong business, period. And then to grow it and then have a reason why you need a loan, right? Like a convertible note, which is usually how most people structure their first round of funding, is basically a loan. 
if you give me $500,000, I will be able to make $2 million, right? Like until people can really outline how that's going to happen, they should not raise because that's the expectation. I mean, it's, it's more than that, right? But people need to be able to justify those things before they go out and say like, the argument can't be, I need to raise because I need a salary because I want to quit my job. (laughs) So what happens after you raise the money? Speaking of salary, at what stage do you begin taking a salary? How often are you meeting with the investors? Yeah, I'm supposed to send a quarterly update. I'm probably not their favorite founder in terms of transparency. (laughs) And then, you know, you're supposed to reach out when you need something or when you have an issue. I meet with my investors, particularly because they're strategically aligned whenever strategically I have issues or like need their help. So I'll meet with Charles's team about different stuff, probably, you know, definitely sending emails a couple times a month. And then the Knight Foundation is another investor, like I'm flying to Miami to talk to them about different things. So it's a constantly fluid situation. They do intros for me. I mean, investors should be your, your champions. They should be talking about you in rooms that you can't get in yet and speaking on your behalf. So my investors have definitely done that for us. And in terms of like salary, yeah, I mean, it's so funny. Like sometimes I'm like, man, I should pay myself more. And then sometimes I'm like, man, we need that money to go and do this thing. Right. And so I go back and forth. I, I adjust my payroll up and down, uh, depending on what's going on. So for the first year, well, I definitely wasn't paying myself my first year when I was in my apartment. And then year two, even after we got the office, I was barely paying myself like because I was living in the office. So my rent was basically covered through that. So I wasn't paying myself much, basically just my Ubers probably. So now we're, you know, almost to year three. I pay myself a little bit, barely, you know, now I've moved out the office. So I'm barely covering my rent <laughs> with my salary, but I also don't have that many expenses. You know, I'd rather invest that cash in a new content marketer or in making sure that the team, we can have like a retreat or like whatever it is, because the return on that investment is so much stronger than my, you know, being able to like go to Hawaii, which I don't have time for anyways. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, but I think most, of, I think most founders would say like, pay yourself first. And like, I agree with that. Don't struggle so much that you're not being efficient but also like don't be exorbitant because that's that's you're betting against yourself in some ways because every dollar you save is a dollar you can put back into the business and if you maintain ownership a significant ownership of your company then that's money that you're going to make later how do you find these dedicated and hardworking team members like what are the nuggets you've picked up now yeah finding and and keeping a strong team is like the most important thing. If, if I could give any like young entrepreneur advice, it would be really, really create a community and a squad of people who can rally with you around the vision and make a vision that is beyond you. It is not the Morgan show, right? Like everybody works hard because there's a mission and like, we see the rewards of us pushing our mission. Like we see the girl who had got featured on our Instagram account sell out of her product on Etsy, right? And like that is motivating for people. And so we try to find people who are aligned with that mission because that's what's going to make them sustain in tough times. And we've had a lot of tough times in our company, you know, everything from losing big clients to like, we can't afford snacks this week, like just everything. And what weathers the storm and what what is is basically the fact that people are motivated by the work that they do every day. And I think finding those team members I think it's really listening to what people say when you're talking to them, 
like when we do interviews and I think about people who are no longer with us on our team, you know, we hired them because they had a skill set that we thought we needed, as opposed to this is someone who's like really going to be about this mission and like really going to go the extra mile. Because in a startup, it's not just about skills. It's also about, you know, your heart and your passion. I mean, if you can't find someone who's down during those hard times, they're going to be out. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be out and they're going to be complaining and they're going to pollute everybody else. It's not worth it. So how are you continuing to grow your brand and what's next for you guys? Yeah, we we went from one brand to three very fast. So right now we're in like a stabilized mode, not a growth mode. It's like we've got these great things. We want to do make sure that we're treating them all with the attention that they deserve, that they all have a level of innovation and creativity. And so we're going to spend you know, the rest of the summer really investing in the right content and positioning and making sure that they're providing value to their community. Shadow and Axe has been around again for eight years. And so learning a lot from Tambe, who's the founder of Shadow and Act, and his community, which is incredibly loyal um, and very active and asking them what they need and what they want. Um, and so, yeah, you, you probably won't see any new things in terms of like new brand, like, Hey guys, we're doing a sports site. Like now, <laughs> like we're done. <laughs> and hopefully this goes out soon. Cause then like, I don't want anyone to be like, Morgan, remember that podcast you did? And like, hey, here we are. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but yeah, like we're going to, we're, we're going to focus on what we have and uh, make sure that everything that we have is excellent and well-executed and creative and unique and providing value. Before we close out, we have a lightning round on this show. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? The Lean Startup by Eric Reese book. Who inspires you and why? Oh, I mean, my team like every day because they work so hard and they don't complain. And like when I'm not feeling it, they, for some reason are still feeling it. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, they, they just keep me, they keep me going. How do you decompress? Uh, that's something I'm working on. I decompress now by like meditating and doing a daily devotional in the mornings when I wake up and kind of like praying and clearing my mind in the morning. And now this one is it's kind of new. I'm making this up on the spot. But who would you say is a fellow Black woman entrepreneur who has been most influential in your journey thus far? Oh, my goodness. That's so hard. I love it. <laughs> I can't just pick one. Oh, OK, I have to give you three because okay. three came to mind. Um, one, Zim from Travel Noir. We have known each other for a while. We were both in San Francisco and I just admire Travel Noir so much, like, and her specifically, like design, um, being intentional about building a brand, saying no to things because it doesn't fit, building an independent, sustainable business model that doesn't rely on huge enterprise companies. Like she's just done so many things that I admire. Two, Danielle Leslie, she's phenomenal. She helps and teaches other people how to make money online. And she's just like always dropping gems. Like she's like, why are you doing this? Do this instead. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, like tell me everything. Um, and then, you know, I think in terms of like girl boss goals, I think Jessica Matthews, um, from CEO of Uncharted Play, she's one of probably less than three women in the, in the 
country, black women who've raised you know over five million dollars in funding. And funding aside, I think that she has a very solid technical background and technical product, and is doing something that could potentially change the world in terms of generating energy. If you guys haven't heard about her, look look her up, Jessica Matthews. And she does it with grace and with her own vibe and her own style. And I just respect that so much. So those three women, and there's so many more, but I'll stop there. Awesome, awesome choices. And then finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Um, that's tough. <laughs> I think the advice is there's no better time to start than today and start working towards those goals. I think oftentimes we do a lot of researching and reading and asking people what they think, and you have to trust your gut and your intuition and just go for it. Now, you know, be smart, hustle smart, like don't waste your time or spend a lot of money for no reason. Oftentimes entrepreneurship is really just about progress and failing quickly. So get started, start like making things, start releasing things and keep pushing. Awesome note to end on. So Morgan, what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? Uh, My Instagram has been thriving lately. I've gotten into Insta stories. So my Instagram handle and my Twitter handle is at Morgan Devon. Hit me up, DM me, say what's up. Oh, well, thank you for the offer, y'all. Take advantage of it. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Alrighty, guys. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to side forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.